O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. For your arrows have sunk into me, and your hand has come upon me. There's no soundness in my flesh because of your indignation. There's no health in my bones because of my sin. For my iniquities have gone over my head like a heavy burden. They're too heavy for me. I confess my iniquity. I'm sorry for my sin. But my foes are vigorous. They are mighty. And many are those who hate me wrongfully. Those who render me evil for good accuse me because I follow after good. Do not forsake me, O Lord. O my God, be not far from me. Make haste to help me, O Lord, my salvation. Those are verses 1 through 4 and uh, 18 to 22 of Psalm 38, which is the psalm appointed for today, Wednesday, January the 19th, 2022. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm your host, John Green. Thanks for being along. Uh, We are continuing our look at the prophecies of Isaiah that are fulfilled in Jesus. We're also looking at the Paul's letter to the Ephesians, chapter 5, the first 14 verses, and continuing in Mark's gospel, the fourth chapter, the first 20 verses of that chapter. Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, who formed you from the womb. I'm the Lord who made all things, who alone stretched out the heavens, who spread out the earth by myself, who frustrates the signs of liars and makes fools of diviners, who turns wise men back and makes their knowledge foolish, who confirms the word of his servant and fulfills the counsel of his messengers, who says of Jerusalem, she shall be inhabited, and of the cities of Judah, they shall be built, and I will raise up their ruins, who says to the deep, be dry, I will dry up your rivers, who says of Cyrus, he is my shepherd, and he shall fulfill my purpose, saying of Jerusalem, she shall be built, and of the temple, your foundation shall be laid. So that's a long beginning. Right. I mean, it's it, it, it's but it's one sentence <laughs> because it, it's the Lord speaking. And then he is defining himself as the one who made all things and stretched out the heaven and spread out the earth. But then it goes on to say that he that he makes fools of diviners, frustrates the sign of the liars, turns wise men back and makes their knowledge foolish. In other words, it, it's the same basic uh, idea that Hannah demonstrated in her prayer, and that um, later Mary does the same. talks about reversal of fortunes, and it talks about the, the reality that we need to pay attention to him, and if we do, and if we follow him, then the world will count us as fools, because their wisdom is not wise. It's worldly wise, but it's not eternally wise. We're, how do I navigate this life is the least important question that I can ask. How do I navigate this life in order that I might attain eternal life is really the only question. And so we should live differently. We should think differently. And that's the whole point of all this stuff is to say, hey, don't measure things by today. Because if you measure things by today, then you're going to believe that Jerusalem is going to lie in ruins and that the cities of Judah will forever lie in ruins. And God's saying that's not how it's going to be. I know what it looks like today, and it doesn't look hopeful today, but it's okay. I got this. I'm the one who's in charge. I have a plan, and I have a purpose, and that plan and that purpose will be fulfilled and realized. Thus says the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus, who is the Persian king that God's chosen to move in him to release his people. 
so that they can go back to Jerusalem and they can rebuild the city and they can rebuild the temple and then they can begin to rebuild the land as well. The the good news for Cyrus is is that, that he had a policy of resettling people where they were and in their own land and giving them the freedom to pursue their own gods. And so Cyrus was a, was a, a benevolent sort of um, leader in a way that Nebuchadnezzar was not, because what Nebuchadnezzar's policy was is to believe that Babylon was the greatest place and Babylon's gods were the greatest gods. And so he would bring people to Babylon to make them good little Babylonians. And the Egyptian pharaoh in the time of Moses wouldn't allow God's people to leave. And he believed that his gods, including himself, were superior, and God overthrew it all. It, there's, there's two ways that he can accomplish his will, right? It's through willing participants or through unwilling participants, and it never turns out well for unwilling participants. So he's speaking to Cyrus, his anointed, the one to accomplish a specific task, is what that means, whose right hand I have grasped, to subdue nations before him and to loose the belts of kings, to open doors before him that gates may not be closed. I'll go before you and level the exalted places. I will break in pieces the doors of bronze and cut through the bars of iron. I will give you the treasures of darkness and the hordes in secret places that you may know that it is I, the Lord, the God of Israel, who will call you by your name. So this is not ultimately for your glory, it's for my glory. My glory in your eyes. You can become a great king, but only because I'm the one who did all the work. For the sake of my servant Jacob and Israel, my chosen, I call you by your name. So it's not even because of you that I do this stuff. It's because of my people. I name you, though you do not know me. I'm the Lord, and there's no other besides me. There is no God. I equip you, though you do not know me, that people may know from the rising of the sun, the east, and from the west, that there's none besides me. This is not about you, ultimately, Cyrus, but I'm the one who's giving you the power and making the way smooth for you to become great. But I'm doing it for my glory, because I love my people. I'm the Lord, there's no other. I form light and create darkness. I make well-being and create calamity. I'm the Lord who does all these things. So don't get too big for your britches, Cyrus, because the one who's making all this happen is not you, it's him. So as long as you cooperate, you'll be great. But woe be it unto you if you fail to cooperate. It's important to recognize and realize, but that way for God's people to realize that it's God who does all things. Because they could have been incredibly grateful to Cyrus, and they could have made him into somebody that they worship because he gave them the land back, and he provided the money, and he provided all the stuff that was still in the storehouses of Nebuchadnezzar that had come from the temple in Jerusalem. So they could have turned to a worldly leader and made him their king, in, in the sense of being the most important thing in their lives. But God says through the prophet, nope, that's not the way it is. There's only one reason he's doing all these things, and it's because I purposed those things. 
in the gospel today, I've said this many times, it feels like this parable comes up more often than any other parable, and it's partly because it's in all the gospels. But it also, it's because I believe it's an important parable, and I believe that that I still must not have the answer to it, because every time I read it, I, I feel a little bit Am I still missing something in this? So he began to teach by the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables, and in his teaching he said to them, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. And he sowed. Some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Or other seed fell on rocky ground, where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up, since it had no depths of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. In other words, if, if you have the ability to comprehend this, then, then hear it. At, when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables, and he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those who outside, everything is in parables, so that they indeed may see but not perceive, and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they turn and be forgiven. You know, it, one of the things that I've noticed most recently is the the attitude of unbelievers, you know, that, that we believe myths and we believe silliness that happened a couple thousand years ago and all this other stuff. The reality is contained right there in that statement. To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside, everything is in parables, so that having eyes, they may not perceive but and hear but not understand. It, it's the truth we live in a, in a place and a time where we are becoming a post-Christian culture, and we're mocked. We don't control the narrative anymore. The, the way people think is no longer remotely biblical. The way that we think through every issue that confronts us is not biblical. We think through a constitutional lens or an emotional lens or whatever it is. And the reality is, is that as believers— we're intended to see everything and understand everything through the lens of Jesus and, and through God's eyes. And we can do that by the power of the Holy Spirit because he's given that ability to us. So it's not something we can be proud of because we didn't do anything to deserve it. It was a free gift. And so the fact that we can understand these things is something we should rejoice and praise him for. And in all these things, that's the way it should be. And, and we've got to keep our eyes fixed on him, though, in order to be able to do that, because it's easy to begin to process everything else through some other lens. But when we do, then we lose the ability to process his word appropriately as well, because it can't strike deeply within us unless we have his worldview, unless we see things through the biblical worldview and through God's eyes then we're going to misevaluate everything in our lives, and we're going to end up making bad decisions, and we're going to end up in a place where, where we don't love at all, much less love our enemies. So he said to them, don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows this word. Those are the one, these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that's sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground. The ones when they hear the word immediately receive it with joy, and they have no root in themselves but endure for a while. Then, when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. 
and others are the ones sown among thorns. They are the ones who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desire for other things either enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those who were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirtyfold, sixtyfold, and a hundredfold. And so what he's saying there is, is that you've got to have kingdom eyes. You've got to be fixed on the kingdom. It fits with, this parable does, it fits with the, um, the, all the, the little parables that he tells about the kingdom of heaven is like this. It's like a treasure hidden in a field. It's like a pearl of great price. It's like a woman who has lost a coin and searches to find that one coin and all that. It, it, it's got to be the most important thing in your life. And that's all that that's saying is that you're going to miss all this. It's never going to take root and produce fruit. The word of God's not so long as you're consumed with the cares of the world. And I'm speaking, and I know this, I'm speaking to Christians, people who consider themselves Christians, and I'm probably speaking to, to most people who really want to pursue and follow him. But, but what I'm saying to you is, is that, that that can't be an addition added on to the rest of our lives. And that's exactly what he told the rich young ruler was, it can't, you, you can't have the heavenly inheritance unless you give up your earthly inheritance. That's the way you're going to show me the value you have. For the kingdom of God. And so, and when he walked away, what he showed him was the value that he had in his heart for the kingdom of God. And so it's the thing that we have to be careful about. If we would know more, if we would grow in him, then we got to get rid of everything else. And that's got to be the most important thing. Finally, in the epistle, Paul says, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. We are his beloved children. And that's why he says, be imitators of God. Be imitators of God. You want to know how to live? Be imitators of God, he says. And then walk in love. In the same way Christ loved us. Which means to lay down your life. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not be named among you as is proper among the saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead, let there be thanksgiving. You know, some of the stuff that he lists here, I, I, I'm okay with, right? I mean, I, I do all right with it. It doesn't mean that I, that I believe him or I agree with him. It means that, you know, whether I agree with him or not, by words, I need to also agree with him in my life. And so I I recognize that too often my, my conversation— isn't what it ought to be. And so Paul raises the bar on, not really, I mean, that's not even fair. He, <laughs> what, what Paul does is tell people how to live. And if, if we did indeed set him first, we wouldn't have to be reminded of these things. I saw somebody on Twitter the other day posted that he never used uh, bad language on there because he always, before he sent a tweet out, he thought, what if my grandmother read that tweet. That's a good standard, but the better standard would be God sees you writing that tweet. He knows what you've said, and how did you represent him when you did that? Is that something Jesus would have done? <laughs> so it, it, it does. It becomes, what is our focus? What is the thing that's most important? Because if we're covetous, it means we desire something more, something different, something other than God. If we're sexually immoral, that means that we're not satisfied. 
with God's goodness. We're not satisfied with God's provision if we're married, if we're not married even. We're not satisfied in him, nor with what he's given us. And that's what covetous means. And then also, then it's cheap popularity, right, is is uh, filthy and foolish talking, crude joking. It's cheap. It's absolutely cheap. It's it's a way to, to get people to, to like you, certainly. But that's not the point of our lives. That shouldn't be the point of our lives. <clears throat> For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Well, that could hurt. That That is a strong statement. And it's a statement that you don't hear much in pulpits. It's a statement that you don't hear much anywhere, frankly, that we need to be pure. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. I mean, Paul is not pulling any punches here in this letter to the Ephesians telling them how to live. That they're completely countercultural if they follow what Paul does, because every culture likes the things that, that Paul just spoke against here. But he's telling them, you've got to stay away from all these things. And, and he only tells them that because those things are all temptations. You know, it'd be easy for him to tell me, don't gamble, John, because that's never been a temptation for me. I've never, I've, I've stayed in a casino uh, for weeks when I was working in Puerto Rico, and, and not once did I go to the casino because I don't care. That's not my thing. So when he says this stuff, he's saying, look, here are the dangers that you're facing, and you need to be careful to stay away from all these things. The culture is telling you these things are right, but they're not. And the wrath of God will fall on people who practice these things. Therefore, don't become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you're light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. For the fruit of light is found in all that's good and right and true. And try to discern what's pleasing to the Lord, which has been sort of my point the whole time, is, is do what God approves. <clears throat> and that's got to be your primary thought. What does God approve? What would God have me do in this situation? And, and whatever you find yourself thinking, I wish I had, I wish I had, I wish I had, and then repent. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it's shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. And therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine upon you. So it's, it's so long as Cyrus did the things that, that, that God intended him to do and purposed him to do, then everything would go well with him. But as soon as it didn't, he would find out who was God and who was not just the way Pharaoh did and just the way Nebuchadnezzar did until he repented after living like an animal and eating grass for a few years. It's sometimes God has to do that to humble us, but it's only because he loves us and he wants the best for us, which is he wants us for himself and he wants eternal life for us. And so if we set our eyes on the right things, if we truly value the kingdom, then then we'll be doing the things that the, that, that are fit for the kingdom. If not, then we should ask him to give us more of himself in order that we might conquer those other things inside of us by his incredible goodness. And so wherever you feel like there's something that you want outside of him, then give him that empty place and ask him to fill it.